Luke chapter number 19. Luke chapter 19. Thank you for being here this morning as we begin uh, the Passion Week. Uh, starts with Jesus Christ's uh, kind of coming into uh, Jerusalem. And so we're going to be, uh, our Palm Sunday text is going to be from Luke chapter number 19. And I'm thankful for all of the, all of the worship uh, this morning. And uh, Mike, thank you for also leading that last song. Uh, he is exalted over all. And every once in a while I get to make a request and it makes its way in. And so I was really excited uh, to sing that. And I think you'll know why when we get through uh, the sermon here. I'm going to read a lengthy portion of scripture. And so you're gonna, we're just going to do that together. Normally I don't read a big long passage, but we're going to do that right at the beginning. Start off with, we're going to begin in verse number uh, 28. And we're going to be seeing the compassionate king, our compassionate king. And it says in verse number 28, of Luke 19, and when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied. Thereupon yet never man sat. In other words, no one has ever ridden this colt or donkey. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were, were, were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose ye the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they sat Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way, their robes. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. So this had been all the followers of Jesus at this time, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that, if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known even thou, at least in this day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. This morning's gospel reading is the beginning of one of the most momentous weeks in all of history. We know that this story um, is uh, very well known if you uh, have been in church uh, for a long period of time, and there's not a lot of necessarily uh, new, uh, new truths that we might be able to learn. But I'd like to ask you this question this morning. Why do you think, not what the scholars think, not what maybe you've read before, why do you think that in the span of less than a week, Jesus goes from maybe one of the most popular person to wanting his very blood. Going from 
Jesus, Hosanna, the, the, the amazing popularity of Jesus to less than one week being public enemy, number one. The key to the answer, I believe, may be found with the riding in on a donkey. I wonder if you've ever thought about the ownership of the donkey. I, I really never had. And so as we were embarking on another Easter season, and uh, this will be my 12th or 13th, I can't remember, you know, preaching here uh, over the course of Easter and, and, and looking at the same passages that kind of allude to this week. And, and, and if, you've ever, if you've never thought about this donkey, it's, it, it, it intrigued me. Uh, from Matthew's perspective, in Matthew 21, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all kind of telling the, the same story with different details because they see it from different way angles. He says, saying unto them, go into the village over against you, and straightway you should find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say unto you, ye shall say, the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. So from Matthew's perspective, he kind of just gives a singular perspective of, you know, if, 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 if a man say something to you, but our text provides a detail about the ownership of this donkey that only Luke records. I want you to see it again in verse number 33. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners... Thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. Notice the plural owners in our text. I believe this is important because the donkey had at least two owners. And most likely, they were probably from a lower class financially either two families, and you can read that, that this would often be the case sometimes, two families would, would share the one donkey. So uh, they, they would do some work and, and some plowing, and they, they would share it because they didn't have enough means to be able to own their own. So it's, it's possible that it was two families, or it could simply be a husband and wife. It could be a singular family, but it's um, it's involving more than just one individual. The donkey most likely did not belong to some rich landowner who really wouldn't have much of an issue if he had many, many donkeys and just one of them either went missing or was being borrowed for a, uh, for, for a little bit of a trip. He wouldn't miss it for a week. So the donkey, I would suggest to you, was a prime possession for at least two poor people. So the donkey would have had to be a sizable investment for each owner. So why, think about this, why, why would the owners have parted with such an investment of, to complete strangers, to disciples coming along? And you can kind of just see someone you know, coming and stealing it. Now, I'm going to explain more about the donkey a little bit later. But first, let me kind of give you the background of the political situation, the political climate of Jerusalem at the beginning of the third decade of the first century A.D. So the Jews had been waiting a long time for a Messiah. It had been prophesied. I don't know, this, uh, it's going in and out, but if I need to, I'll go to a handheld. Nick, just let me know if it keeps going in and out. 
But it's kind of, so this is the, the, the third, third decade of the first century. And the Jews have been waiting this long time for someone who would come and free them from the oppression. Someone would come and free them from this uh, political foreign rule that was over them. They looked back in history about 200 years ago to 167 BC, the time when Judas Maccabees threw off the yoke of the Seleucid kings of Syria and had reclaimed Jewish independence. So for the Jews, that was the type of redeemer, that was the type of leader, that was the type of king that they would have been looking for. Someone that was going to ban or or, or loosen the chains of this regime of, of, of oppression that was over them. They weren't expecting this type of Messiah to come in on this holy week. They wanted a mighty king, masterful, in power and might, and they, it's not what they expected, and that's not what they got that first holy week. Jesus literally shatters their illusions. So why did the crowd change in one short week from worshiping Hosanna, Hosanna, from worshiping King Jesus to begging for his blood? Well, I'd like to suggest to you it's because Jesus brought unacceptable change to their thinking. Unacceptable change. He challenged their concept of the Messiah. And with any change, religious people, they didn't like that. They didn't like the the change. In fact, if the crowds had been watching carefully, they would have realized that even on Palm Sunday itself, Something wasn't quite right. It wasn't what they had built up in their mind. It wasn't what they were hoping would be like it was a few hundred years prior to that. Something was different. Why? Because if Jesus was coming as an all-conquering king, he would not have ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. Yet Jesus comes into town, not as this conquering, mighty king, Oh, he's going to come back someday like that. But he came in as our compassionate king, the lowly king, the humble riding in on a donkey. And so let me, let's look at our account from Luke. We're not going to go back totally through it verse by verse like you know, accustomed to. I'm just going to kind of tell you the story again, and we're going to kind of look in, peek in on a few things. Luke was the only Gentile author in the entire New Testament. So he wrote in a way that a non-Jew could understand what had happened in those days. Because of this, Luke is for many the easiest gospel to read. Often many people, if they're brand new to the faith or brand new to reading the Word of God, they'll find that, that Matthew can be rather difficult they find that John, although I love the book of John, it's very, uh, it deals with so much of the deity of Jesus Christ. And then Mark certainly deals with a lot of the humanity of Jesus. But, but Luke is written for kind of the Gentile, so to speak. It's, it's so that we could understand. And so this book, this gospel, clearly shows us Jesus as a compassionate Savior, a King who has come for all mankind Jews 
and Gentiles. So it is a writing where all people are valued. The Samaritan, the leper, the woman caught in adultery, the poor, and the so on. In Luke chapter 3, verse 6, it says that all flesh, or what it means is that all mankind shall see the salvation of God. So it is through Luke's perspective that we see this original Palm Sunday. I want to look at it through, through his eyes, through his lens. To get a fuller understanding of this compassionate king, we can actually look at the chapter that precedes it. So chapter 19 is this uh, great coming into town, coming down from the Mount of Olives to uh, into the inner older city there of Jerusalem. But Luke 18, Jesus is approaching the city of Jericho. He's, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He knew that he was, he's kind of, he, he's ready now. He's going to Jerusalem. He's getting ready to give his life a ransom for many. But as he's on his way here to Jerusalem, he's getting ready to face the suffering and the death. He's traveling with crowds and with his disciples. And a blind man begins to beg, begins to, begins to cry out about, about Jesus. He had heard that, that Jesus was there. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So this blind man, all of this commotion, Jesus is coming in, passing Jericho, and there's the crowds, there's all of the the followers of Jesus, and he hears that he's there, and he said, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And those around him immediately rebuke him. They immediately just tell him, hey, 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 be quiet. Verse 38 of Luke 18, and he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. At this time in history, it was thought that those who were disabled or those that were excessively poor, they must have offended God somehow. They were in this path of life because God was angry with them. That was kind of just what people had thought when they were blind or when they were deaf or when they had some other issue with their body. But that's not Christ's opinion of him. Even though Christ was focused on Jerusalem, even though his cross was ever before him, he took time to meet the needs of this man who was literally an outcast to the society. Jesus had the man brought to him and he healed him. Verse 40 of Luke 18. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And he was come near and he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. We see a compassionate Savior, a compassionate King coming into town. And then in the beginning, of Luke 19, starting in verse number one, you, you continue to see the compassion again. He's entering Jericho. There's great crowds. They're following him. And the scriptures tell us that there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And so what did Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree. We've sang that song. Maybe if we were in Sunday school as a kid, he climbed up that tree. Why? Because he wanted to see Jesus. Who was Zacchaeus? 
Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Zacchaeus was given permission to tax his own people and then also ask for more and keep it for himself. Zacchaeus was not liked, my friends. Do you all like the IRS? No, moving forward. That's, I'm getting, getting sidetracked here. He was, to many, an outcast. They, they didn't like them. He was oppressive. He was, he was a part of the problem. He was a part of that oppression. And yet he climbs up into that tree so that he can get a look at Jesus. And as Jesus is walking by, he takes notice of him. And he calls down to Zacchaeus. He's like, hey, we're going to go to your house today. Tells him that in verse 7. We're going we're to go to your house today. And by the end of their time, Zacchaeus repented of his sin and committed to repay all that he had been given. And Jesus said this in verse number 9. This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. But you learn after Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go to your house today. In the text there, there's like, there's rumblings. Why is this holy man going to go be with a sinner? Once again, the compassionate king had stooped down to the level of a man and met that man right where he was. He met their need. And then in our text... Through this triumphal entry, we see his proclamation that he has come as our compassionate king. At times in Scripture, God instructed his prophets to speak his instructions to God's people. Oftentimes, he would use a prophet as an object lesson, sometimes as a living example of the idea that God was trying to communicate to his people especially when they were slow to hear and they were slow to understand. He would often say, hey, I want you to do this radical thing. And some of the prophets had to do extremely radical things. They were examples as unto the people of this is what God is either thinking towards you and this is how he's uh, moving towards you. And so we find a living example in our text. See, at this point, Jesus had been ministering to the people for almost three years See, the time of his death was drawing near, and most of the Jews were still choosing not to believe him. So Jesus presents them with a picture. It's, 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 a, it's a living picture. It's a beautiful picture. And he claims that, 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 that this, it was going to be unmistakable to them as well. It was the time of year to celebrate the Jewish Passover, and thousands upon thousands of Jews, Jewish pilgrims, excuse me, had already gathered in Jerusalem. So religious fervor and passion, I mean, it was, it was electric. This was, this was the time of year. It was an awesome, awesome celebration. And Scripture tells us how Jesus approaching the Mount of Olives, riding on a donkey that had never been ridden before, the Mount of Olives was just east of the city of Jerusalem. It is a place of sacred importance. In the book of Ezekiel, God had given the prophet, <clears throat> excuse me, a vision of God and his glory leaving 
and returning to Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives. This is that mountain just east of Jerusalem. So the location of this story says so much. There was such, such meaning to where he came through. It was significant to the people of Jesus' day. And as you continue to observe the culture of that day, there are scriptures in the Old Testament you begin to understand much more about this story. See, an unused donkey was often used for kind of sacrificial purposes or an unused animal. One example can be found in Numbers chapter 19, verse 2, where God gives instruction concerning an animal that was to be sacrificed. It says, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came a yoke. In other words, nothing had ever come upon it. No one had ever ridden it or even a yoke of any kind. So this was, um, it was, this was symbolic here, and it was getting ready to be sacrificed. And so Christ is riding on an unused colt was another message to the people. The location of where this is at, coming down from the Mount of Olives, what he is riding as he's coming down from the Mount of Olives was sacred and importance of what Christ was going to be. For these men and women. Another important detail was the type of animal of which Jesus was riding. See, a conquering leader, we're going to look here in a moment, a conquering leader would have come in on a horse. He would have come in in power, but a king that's coming in peace would ride a donkey. 1 Kings 1.33 says, The king also said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord and cause Solomon my son to ride upon mine own mule and bring him down to Gilhan. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there, king over Israel, and blow you the trumpet and say, God save King Solomon. So Jesus had not come to be an earthly military king who was going to save the Jews from Rome. He came as the eternal king that would free many and the condemnation and the slavery of sin. He came in peace. Jesus came this first time as the prince of peace. Jesus was following the same pattern that's seen in Zechariah 9 that had been written some 500 years prior. It says in Zechariah 9, 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly, 500 years earlier prophesied, riding on a donkey, a fowl. In contrast... Romans 19, excuse me, Revelation 19, when Jesus comes back, he's not going to be riding a donkey. He's going to be coming back on a horse, and the saints are going to be with him, but it's coming in power, coming as a conquering king, and it's going to lead into the battle of Armageddon where they think they're going to be able to take God out, but this is a different coming. This is the first coming of Jesus. And it is rich with with symbolism. 
There's another message to the people who were there that day. Jesus was coming to be king of the Jews, but not in the way that they desired. He was coming to save them from so much more than the Romans. He came for something greater. He came to free every man and woman and boy and girl from their sin, from the bondage of their sin. Their bondage was so much worse than they ever thought. They thought it was just the heavy taxation. And yes, that was a burden. The way that they were treated absolutely was an issue. But their greatest problem was their slavery to sin, their eternal separation from God. And so not a starvation from the Romans, but freedom from sin and the judgment of all of eternity. Matthew 121 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save them from their sins. That's why Jesus came. John, 1 John 4.14, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. 1 John 2.2 2 says, And he is the propitiation for our sins. A big theological term is that Jesus met the demands of a holy God for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of of the whole world, John tells us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Hebrews 2, 9 says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he may, by the grace of God, should taste death for every single man. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, that ye through him might be rich. So Jesus left his royal kingdom in heaven, all of the glory that came with that. And he came down and walked this earth, comes in peace, so he would ultimately die, taste of our poverty, so that in him, you could have all the riches and glory. That's what this first Palm Sunday was. And they missed it. Oh, we might have as well. Before we remove ourselves from those that are crying for Barabbas instead of Jesus, often we don't see God working in our life. Often we don't see his hand and the, and the lessons that he is so often bringing into our lives. But we, my friends, truly have a compassionate king. Jesus rode this donkey into Jerusalem, which was the capital city of the Jewish people, where God himself dwelt. This was the holiest, holiest of cities, and he came to be its king. This was the same Jericho, excuse me, same Jerusalem, where the leaders were already speaking about how can we kill him? How can we trap him? He was making one of his final claims to the truth that he was the promised Messiah, the King, the Savior of Israel. Many in the crowd, they, they took off their outer garments. They took off their, they took off their robes and they laid it down, along also with palm leaves, right? Hosanna, Hosanna. It was amazing what they were doing. In response of all these signs of proclaiming himself to be promised, to be the Messiah, to be the king of the Jews, the, the people began to praise Jesus. 
Quoting from the Old Testament in Psalm 118, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. The donkey, the location, the robes on the road, and the praises of the people all declared that Jesus was the promised Messiah and he was a compassionate king. Listen, it was a dangerous statement to be making at this time in history when Rome was in rule. But Jesus was still coming and proclaiming this. In the midst of the cheers, there were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are observing all of this. They've already plotted to, how can we trap this man? How can we ultimately get this man out of power? How can we ultimately kill him? And it's in, it's in that arena that all of this praise, all of this worship is going on. And the Pharisees, they tell him, you need to stop these disciples. You need to stop these followers from praising the name of Jesus. And I love what Jesus said. Jesus said, man, if they hold their peace, if they stop, these rocks are going to cry out. These rocks are going to cry out that he is worthy of our praise. Listen to me, my friends. If we choose not to give God glory, the stones around us, they cry out. Jesus Christ, he is of infinite worth. There is no other name that will ring throughout the halls of eternity like Jesus Christ. And that's why we sang that song, that, that, that he is exalted over all. No other name. The, the, the names that we celebrate today, all of that is going to pass away at some time. But Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is the Lord, that he's the Lord of lords and that he's the King of kings. But this first time that he comes, Jesus is coming in compassion so that the lost might be saved. Listen, his next coming, and we don't know when that coming is. It could be any day, the Apostle Paul said. His next coming, it's not going to be in compassion. His next coming is going to be in conquering fury. And so if you're seated here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I cannot encourage you enough to not let today go by without accepting this compassionate Savior, Jesus Christ, who came in to lay his life down as a ransom to save his people, to taste death for every man, the Bible says. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. My friends, Christians, the praises of God cannot be silenced. They can't be silenced by the government. They can't be silenced by a sword, by threats, or by fear. The people of God proclaiming the name of Christ will continue. And I want to say thank you for being a church that makes much about Jesus on a weekly basis. I love this week as it's leading into Easter. But I told a couple of our men this morning before church, my, my favorite Sunday in all the world is Easter. My second favorite Sunday in all the world is the Sunday after Easter. Wonder why? Because we have the same resurrection power on that Sunday as we will this coming Sunday. And I think if we get the clue, we have that power today. And I'm fired up for this week. I love Easter. I can't wait to make a big deal about it. But listen, we ought to praise him now. We ought to praise him now. We ought to praise him loud. Well, I don't quite know the song. I get that. Learn the song. Mike repeats them. 
Sometimes we sing it once, eh, it doesn't go well, we don't sing it again. But the vast majority of them, we sing again. And by the way, they are doctrinally rich songs. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him loud. Praise Him with a hand high. Praise Him with a clapped hands if you want. Praise Him. Jesus, our exalted King, shows us His heart of compassion. Because as He approached Jerusalem, He sees the city. And Luke tells us that he weeps. He weeps. Because he, he knows he's God. He knows he's not going to be received. But in the big picture of not being received was God's plan for the cross. I mean, if Satan knew that the cross was going to do what the cross was going to do, he never would have done it. And he weeps. I've asked myself this week, God, do you, do you weep over my receiving of you? I don't mean for salvation. That's a one-time thing. We trust Christ as our Savior once and we're saved forevermore. But in my life, do I receive him? When he shows me lessons, when he brings objects lessons in, into my life and he's trying to move, do I receive him? Does he weep over my lackadaisical approach to who he is? Today, we each need to be encouraged by the compassionate king. Regardless of where you are in the midst of our struggles, we serve Jesus Christ as our savior. He's wonderful. He came down from heaven so that he might, that might live among us and transform us so that we can be like him. It's not a Messiah who comes to serve man's agenda. It's not why Jesus came. He came for God's agenda. And I would encourage you and I would encourage myself, let's get in on that agenda. Let's get in on the reason why he came. The reason why he came was so that man would know that they could be free. Oh, not from the bondage that they think of, the bondage of their sin. And Jesus is the great freer. Let's tell that message to this week. Let's share that message creatively. Let's, let's give somebody an invitation to where they can hear the gospel. Let's celebrate him. Our compassionate king. There were all the signs, the location, the donkey, the praising. Psalm 118 talks about who they're going to praise on that day. And they missed them all. Are you missing him? Or do you see our Jesus as the compassionate king that he is, worthy of our praise, worthy of our honor? And God knows what we were going to do just now is we were going to come back up and we were going to sing that song again, exalted over all. But you pray for the Florendos. We, we've been, his dad's been in and out of the hospital. And they're very burdened with that. I believe they're on the phone right now with their doctor. And so... Uh, please, please pray for them. But church family, let's worship him this week. Let's see this week for what it is. Don't, don't miss the signs. Come on Friday night if you can for our Good Friday service. 
That's going to be a time of, of, of reflection, a time of brokenness before the Lord's table, as well as seeing, God, thank you for what you did for us in the death of the cross. And then we'll gather at 7 a.m. at the Dunn Ranch. Hopefully it's beautiful weather. I think it's going to be. And as that sun is beginning to peek out through the clouds, we'll celebrate his resurrection all day long. But it starts today, Christian. Praise him. Bow your heart once again before the Lord, our Messiah. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Right now, I want to encourage you to be bold as you become before his throne. Whatever your need is, go boldly before that throne. Because if you are a Christian, you're going to find a compassionate king is seated there. That compassionate king is ready to grant you the grace and the mercy that you need.